You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm writer, filmmaker, and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, actress, filmmaker, and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about book therapy and interviewing writer and disability advocate Heather Radcliffe. But first... What are you reading, Bria? I am reading a book you gave me, which is... <gasps> oh my god, yes! Our, you didn't give it to me. You let me borrow it. My favorite thing is Monsters. Oh my god, it's so good! By Emil Ferris. Oh. Uh, it is really good. It's so good so far. I'm... I don't. Did you tell the crazy story about about the books on the on a podcast already? I don't know if I told it on this podcast, but ba- I mean the basic rundown is. Is it like all the other five podcasts you do? I, <laughs> do I? No, I, I actually don't. just had you a moment where I was like, do I, do you I don't. do any you other? Don't. I don't. You don't. I don't. This is your only podcast. This is the one. <laughs> where am I? Hold on. I need some coffee. Yeah. So basically, if you don't if you don't know about it, my favorite thing is monsters. It's a big graphic novel. Huge, huge like, graphic novel. I had no idea Door even when I was going to novel. buy it. I ordered it and. I was like, oh, cool. It came in and it's like 30 pounds. Yeah. Huge book. It was printed overseas. And when it came back on its way back to America, it sank or caught on fire or something crazy. And the entire shipment was lost and it was like back ordered everywhere. And this was at the same time NPR had covered it. So everybody wanted it. Right. So it was just like this crazy like rush to try to get this book. But now yeah. it's back in stock. Although I'm looking at right now, the Los Angeles Public Library has 23 copies and none are available. So it's, it is a very popular book, obviously. Anyway, it's a fictional graphic novel about a girl who really loves horror movies and monsters, like B-movie horror movie monsters, and she kind of pictures herself as one of them as she goes through life, and then she there's, a, there's like a murder or a mystery kind of situation. I'm not done with it yet, so I don't know, in her house and or in her apartment complex, and so she's sort of dealing with that. But it's very adorable, but also just really cool, and she pictures herself as like, just like a little werewolf person. Yeah, which as soon as I found out she was a little werewolf girl, like my heart just exploded in yeah. 5,000 directions. It's, it's so, so cute. And the art is amazing. Yeah, it's really good art. It's great. If you read graphic novels, I would totally suggest it. What are you reading, Mallory? I actually, in a similar vein, am reading a essay collection called Body Horror by Anne Elizabeth Moore. And it's basically all about... We are really going for the horror stuff today. Yeah, this is like very on-brand episode for us. <laughs> uh, it, it's a collection of essays that are about how capitalism all around the world affects women's bodies and misogyny and how that uh, like all goes around and, back and relates back to women in horror and women in body horror. It's just like... Not what I thought that book was going to be about. Yes. But that sounds... I want to borrow this. It I think really you would love this because it's like so deep in our wheelhouse. It's like feminism but also women in horror. It's super good. Very depressing but also very, very good and I highly recommend it. As a person who spends tons of her time doing horror movies, I'm very interested yes. in this book. <laughs> so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback on the Facebook group which is run by, by Danielle. As always, we want to thank her. Someone said... Are you a Mallory or a Bria when it comes to spoilers? So just to remind you from a couple episodes ago, I am a Bria. <laughs> <laughs> I am a look, a Bria is a person who does not mind spoilers. I don't care. I'm ready to experience it. You can spoil away. I really don't care. And a Mallory. I'm a Mallory. <laughs> uh, I don't like spoilers. 
and and actually we were talking about this right before we started recording the reason why i don't like spoilers is not because i think it ruins your entire experience of it but because if i know what's going to happen i start like trying to reverse engineer the book oh yeah um i spend too much time thinking like all right i know this is the person who murdered them so like every scene that they're in i'm like over analyzing it and it kind of takes me out of the book so if i don't know who it is then i can kind of just focus on the actual book you can be present in the book okay so what were the what were the poll results it was so we ran a poll on twitter and it was actually a lot closer than i thought 64 percent of our listeners are mallory's and 36 percent of them are bria's that actually does surprise me um, I thought it was going to be way more Mal- I mean, not to be biased or anything, but I thought it was going to be way more Mallory's because people are so crazy about spoilers, but it's uh, it's more even than I thought. So we also had a quick clarification about Libby from a listener named Nina. When you guys were talking about bookish apps, you spoke about Overdrive and Libby, but I wasn't sure if you knew that Libby is actually the newer app being offered by Overdrive, which they, I think, are going to be focusing most of their app development on, which I... Don't think I knew when we did the podcast, but I I was listening to another podcast and they were like, Libby, brought to you by Overdrive. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was the same yeah, company. Because so Libby to- was sponsored one of the Book Riot podcasts. Right, right, Which right. we both listened to. And I was like, oh, Libby is sponsored by Overdrive. It all makes sense now. Exactly. Nina also says the idea is that all of your libraries, if you use more than one, are on one shelf. And it only takes a few clicks to get the content you want, um, rather than Overdrive, which actually takes a lot of clicks and things. And if you're connected to Wi-Fi, it automatically downloads all of your materials instead of having to track them down in the Overdrive app. Which she's right. It's great. I still use this app. I downloaded it, and I love it. It's a good app. But thank you for that clarification, Nina. That is a good thing to come back to. And we've still got people sending in their wheelhouses, which is super great. We get them on. Love it. We get them via email, and we get them via Instagram. We get them via Twitter. Please keep sending them in. We love them. If you don't remember what the wheelhouses are this is the things that you look for in a book and you're like these are the things that i want to read about we talked about it in an earlier episode lanny sent in her wheelhouse and that includes any well-written queer characters especially if they get to be happy and not die thumbs up Mm -hmm. is this magic or highly advanced science that has been lost to ages uplifting stories that aren't just fluffy sci-fi based on actual science any fiction that geeks out on a topic while still fitting it into a story any non-fiction where you can just feel the love and passion the author has for the subject old sci-fi that proves we just can't comprehend what technology will look like in the future and characters who love each other for their quirks and obsessions not to spite them i like that it's it's different kinds of sci-fi that you like but it's like all very specific yes no i love that but that's (laughs) i mean that's what the wheelhouse is about you know i like talk not just regular bears but talking bears yeah yeah you you gotta get specific on the wheelhouse because then because you don't want someone just like handing you a bear book no no. or you don't want someone handing you like just a regular sci-fi book it's got to be an old sci-fi that proves we can't comprehend what technology will look like in the future you know what yeah i'm so on board with this stuff (laughs) so email us your wheelhouses or your your feedback or your tips at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com and before we talk about bibliotherapy we're going to take a quick break Are you sad and confused about world politics? Worried about the upcoming inevitable nuclear war? Or maybe a rat is living in your house? There's a rat living in my house. How do you get rid of a rat from a house? Why not immerse yourself in a completely fictional, imagined podcast for the beef and dairy industries? It works for me. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. Don't worry, it's funnier than it sounds. Find us at beefanddairynetwork.com or maximumfund.org or wherever you get your podcast from. Oh, God, there's the rat. Oh, God. 
So this week, we're talking about book therapy. What does that even mean? A lot of us read for comfort. A lot of us read for escapism. I think everybody at least has one book or a series that has gotten us through some shit. Now, bibliotherapists are an actual thing, but for those of us without access to that, how do you use books to help you feel better? Okay, first let's talk about the history of bibliotherapy. I am all about this. The term was coined in 1916 in an Atlantic Monthly article, and by the 1920s, people were actually being trained in programs for bibliotherapy. I think it's like a retirement plan for us. Ooh. We should totally become bibliotherapists. We would be Ooh, great. this is really good. Our, you know, we could always already do it in the apartment. As I say, the walls be covered in books when you go into the <gasps> office, but you this is already your house. Uh, yeah, that's exactly That's my apartment. <laughs> There's actually evidence of bibliotherapy dating back to the Middle Ages. The shit works, people. So it can be fiction or nonfiction. Nonfiction, you kind of get that idea immediately. It's like the self-help book. Yeah. It's about whatever thing you're dealing with. Like yeah. a very, like, you know, facts. It's facts. How to deal with anxiety for dummies. Yeah, exactly. Is that a book? I wish. Probably. Probably. I should probably get that. <laughs> fiction. But then fiction books are also given to patients um, in a different style of bibliotherapy, and it kind of depends on their situation. So they're given for things like catharsis, self-identification, or insight, because the idea is that you read this book about a character that is going through the same thing as you, and then you're able to work through it yourself, or at least identify with them, or watch them work through it, and it's supposed to be helpful. And that's exactly how I use books. I know that, but we actually both read for different reasons. You are mm-hmm. an escapist reader. Totally escapist. But I, for me, I'm like, I, I do this for myself. I call it my own book therapy. Like when I'm going through whatever, I like to try to find a book where the protagonist is going through the same thing. Because when I'm reading a book, like let's say there's like a death in the family or a suicide or I have uh, I have really bad anxiety, so I like reading books with characters who have really bad anxiety. Anything that I'm going through at the moment, if I'm reading this book and, and going on this journey with this character, it's like I can see somebody else going through it. So one, I feel like a weird sense of camaraderie with a character. I'm like, oh, hey, like I'm not the only person in the world who's ever gone through this, even though they're not a real person. <laughs> and two, it gives me some insight, like, all right, well, they're in a similar situation. This is what they're thinking. This is what they're doing. It's like getting advice from a friend who went through it yeah it's, it's identification right yes, like exactly. you see them going through it and then you're like yes i can also get through this because this person went through it even though this is a fictional character yeah definitely that actually is uh very much what professional bibliotherapists say and they say most people seek them out at very specific life junctures you know stuck in a career rut depressed in your relationship having a baby so i could see that like if you're dealing with like a friend's suicide or something you go and read a book about a person dealing with a friend's suicide. Other things that it has been effective for are OCD, self-harm, bulimia and insomnia, and older patients with depression. They found a huge benefit in them, especially and older patients um, who join book groups. Like that is a form of bibliotherapy because people who are feeling lonely or dealing with things like Alzheimer's and they want to be and they people read to them like those are forms of bibliotherapy as well. Not like the those are not the go to an office and like you know someone's like and your book prescription is and they write it on like but it's like that is a form of bibliotherapy. Books do a lot of good, man. Graphic novels. Do you know about this? No. Graphic no, no, please novels tell me all about this. have also been effectively used for depression, drug abuse, and PTSD. The origin of this comes back to the 1940s when they would hand out these little 12-page booklets to, to children. And they would be things about, about health issues. Like, I don't know, it was the 1940s. It was probably like, how to not get rickets. Or, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Wash your hands. <laughs> yeah, like things like that. Like, uh, yeah. Don't drink a mud puddle. I don't know why. I just... 
Do we think 1940s children were dumb? They were not dumb. <laughs> Don't drink a mud puddle. I feel like that's like advice for the ages. Like children Listen, all across the world. I'm going to make a little graphic novel. It's called Don't Drink a Mud Puddle. <laughs> Please do. I'd read the fuck out of that. Um, but there is actually a lot of research about graphic novels now that say they are they are great for those um, struggling with literacy and communication, which you could see because they have pictures and and like little, and, literally and little word bubbles, small word bubbles. So especially for people um, who are dealing with literacy issues. Cool. So what about just people going? Do you want to just go? You go to an office and it's like a therapist, and you just want them to write you a book prescription, and they're like, "Go to your local library and fill this prescription." <gasps> Do you think insurance companies would cover that? Probably. I mean, mm. nowadays, probably not. But mm. I, that would be totally amazing. Uh, we're, we're actually going to li- link to an interview that NPR did with a bibliotherapist, uh, Susan Elderkin. And she recommends books for getting your heart rate down, like The Old Man in the Sea, Getting Out of Bed in the Morning, Miss Dalloway. But also for depression, like The Unbearable Lightness of Being. When I looked this up, she's one of the only people interviewed about being a bibliotherapist. I'm not totally sure why. I'd be curious if our listeners, there are other people they listen to or if there's like a public bibliotherapist who like writes a blog or something. Because she was one of the only people who came up when I was looking her up. But we should also emphasize that this is not a medical degree. This is not an actual doctor. Not a doctor. This is a way to recognize you're not alone. You read the book like you do and you figure that out. But it's not going to replace your medication. Nope. It's not going to it's not going to diagnose you. This is stuff that you do in tandem with like actual going to an actual doctor. Yeah. But there is a book on it called The Novel Cure. How about that for a title? That's so cute. The Novel Cure, an A to Z of literary remedies. And literally it has stuff like, and, and depending on where you are, it has different things, but it has stuff like, you know, what to do if you are feeling alone in the world. Everything from that to what to do, what book to read if you feel like there are too many books to read. That's in, amazing. In the universe. I need also, there were book. specific ones, like there was one like, book, the book to read if you are obsessed with cricket. Like the game? Yeah, like the game. Because oh. people in India love cricket. Oh, I don't oh, want to yeah. assume that because people probably say people in America love football, and I don't. But yeah, that's true. some people in India love cricket to the point where they got to read a book about it. You know what? Go for it, man. <laughs> An example of this is a couple of years ago, I went through a, a few month period where just like a bunch of really bad stuff happened, and I was just like having a really, really hard time dealing with it. And I read this book called The Girl Who Slept With God by Val Berlinski. And there's a scene where there's this, the main character is just dealing with a lot of bad things that are happening. And she goes up to another character and she's like, I need you to help me. And the other character is like, I can't. Nobody can. You are the only person who can get you through this. And that like, deep. So I deep. was like, oh, and it, that like got me through the entire thing. It's something that I recommend to people all the time. So Bria, you do the opposite of this type of bibliotherapy. When you're stressed out, you read for escapism. That's true. I also tend to do the same thing with most most of the media I consume, like movies and television as well. I'm a very escapist art consumer. Yeah, I, when I'm going through something hard, I want to read something light. I don't want to read something about that subject. I read a lot of graphic novels, which not, aren't necessarily light, but they do help me sort of just escape this world and they are less difficult to read and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's no, like No, I think I'm that's just much... as uh, just as much of a valid form of bibliotherapy because you're giving your brain a break. Yeah, it's funny. I was listening to this podcast called Literary Disco, which is great if you want to listen to a book podcast where they do book reviews and they just do one a month, I think. It's hosted by Ryder Strong who I had a major crush on when I was like in like 10 years old. Did I have crushes at 10? Probably. Oh, totally. Yeah, maybe 12. I don't remember when Boy Meets World was on, but that was when yeah. I was, yeah, well, I'm older than you. I think it was like, I think I was like 
12. This is important. The, my, tang- my tangent about my crush is really important. No, he was talking about how he felt like during the election and how it was so stressful that he was really escaping through books and he was using them as a form of bibliotherapy. And I was like, oh, I was doing the same. I, yeah, I actually did the same thing. Because I couldn't turn on, I think what happens for like in a situation like that is I can't turn on the television without getting stressed. I can't look at Twitter. Everyone knows right now Twitter and Facebook, It's a garbage fire. They're hard to look at. And so a lot of times- I do nothing but post pictures of my cats now. Yeah, That's really I, all I do. Right. When I try to think about looking at Twitter, I'm like, maybe I'll just read a nice book instead. Mm-hmm. It will make me happier and I can, you know, yes, these people are also dealing with difficult things and, you know, in the books. I just read a book about a suicide, you know, but for some reason that helps me to escape my own issues and I can really get lost in a book. Oh, Um, totally. I think also, you know, I grew up in a place, a small town that I didn't exactly fit in, and I read a lot there. Um, It was a comfort. It was a comfort, and it was a place to go where I'm like, okay, the world does not begin and end with a small town in East Texas. It moves so much further beyond that, and especially because I loved science fiction and fantasy as as a teenager, and that was a way for me to know, look, I know unicorns and space travel don't exist yet, Yet we're gonna make <laughs> a unicorn just for you, Bria. I can't wait till unicorns travel in space. <laughs> um, but I, but it, but it was a way for me to escape sort of the world that I knew that I was involved in, and I knew was all about you know high school football and snakes. S- snakes. That's just what I imagine. Yeah, there's a lot of snakes there. Yeah, yikes. which I don't like snakes, and I don't read books about snakes. Ooh, too, do I. too re- real for me. Yeah, but yeah, that's my form of bibliotherapy. And I want to say there's a lot of science on this kind of subject for using bibliotherapy as sort of an escapism. Can I tell you about it? Yes please. So this is my very basic understanding. So people should go read about it themselves. We're not neuroscientists, guys. Big surprise. Um, I have two parents that are scientists, but I cannot do science speak at all. But there's a New Yorker article about this. The idea is we have these mirror neurons in our brain. They, they make You can see them light up when you're performing an action or when someone else is also performing an action. And they, it's the same ones. So if I'm watching you open your computer or I'm opening my computer, it's the same neuron. Yeah, it's the, it's the neuron that when you're watching like a really intense football match yes. or something and you're like, you start to move a little bit in that direction. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that when people, other people are driving too fast and I like impressing my I, foot phantom, on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a phantom breaker so much. Phantom my boyfriend breaker, is also, I am that. I am a phantom breaker. <laughs> my boyfriend is a really aggressive driver and I am not though, so oh. I'm always like phantom breaking. So there was a study in 2011 that found that brain scan of participants who showed similar sti- they showed similar stimulation when they read about a person doing something as when they did it themselves. Um, they've also shown people who read fiction are more empathetic. So basically, it's like lighting up your empathetic nerve endings. That's probably not a thing, but but if you read, Whatever. it makes you more empathetic to other people. So while I'm using it as a form of escapism, I just want to say. Reading makes you a better person. It does. <laughs> and it, it's been proven that reading makes you more empathetic. And this is why reading is so important. And, you know, getting reading time and let, making sure that the people in your life know that when you're a reader, you need your time to read because it's literally a comfort to you. It's therapeutic. It's part of your self-care routine. It's very cathartic. Whether you are tr- reading for escapism or you're doing what I do, which is like reading to deal with stuff. It, it's so important to your life. I definitely, like, if I'm super stressed, like, I, you know, I just went through this move and I didn't really have a lot of time to read. And that was stressing me out because that's my, like, you know, booze is great. 
drugs, whatever. But for me, this is or meditation. I can't meditate. I've well, you know, so many actually, times. they say the same thing that lights up when you're um, meditation meditating or in deep relaxation. Same kind of neurons light up when you're reading. So it's you are in a form of meditation if you're really focusing. That's on your reading. amazing. So reading is important. Reading is very therapeutic. Bibliotherapy is a thing. Please send us your books that got you through some stuff. Send us your tips on bibliotherapy at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. So before we interview Heather Radcliffe, we're going to take a short break. Mugs, shirts, stickers, patches, tanks, and more are yours for the purchasing at maxfunstore.com. Hey, you already love the podcasts, so why not take this to the next level and outfit your home and bod with our merch? maxfunstore.com because if you have to wear a shirt it should be one of ours Okay, so we are here with Heather Ace Ratcliffe, who is a photographer, a writer, and a disability advocate, and a big reader. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on with you guys. So, Heather, you are a disability advocate online. You do a lot of really, really great work. Can you recommend some books and authors who have really good disabled representation in their books? So, out of all of the questions that you guys sent me, this is actually the hardest one, yeah. because the representation out there is so bad. <laughs> um, so I was thinking, for example, about like the two big ones that have been out recently, which is Me Before You and Everything, Everything. And both of them have been completely skewered by the disability community because they were terrible representations of disability. Um, so the people that I've been thinking of are people that I know that are disabled. Uh, my friend, and I'm going to butcher her last name, um, Elsa Junison Henry, um, she writes these incredible short stories about being disabled, and she is with Uncanny Magazine. Um, and then there's Essie Smith, who is a nonfiction writer, who is not quite short stories, but the articles that she's writing are incredible in telling the story about disability. And then as far as fiction is concerned, um, the one that I just started recently is this book called Necrotech by Casey Alexander. And the main character, I don't want to give too much away, but she's this complete, total badass who's also disabled, but it just doesn't, oh, it's just really cool. <laughs> That is, I, I, Casey is incredible. So how have uh, people, a lot of people don't seem to realize how much being disabled can affect you as a reader, regardless of what your disability is. How has it affected you as both a reader and a writer? Uh, well, I think one of the things that's really hard in particular with my disability is it's a pain condition and pain just makes it so hard to concentrate on anything. Uh, when it comes to writing, when it comes to reading, I mean, I've gone through stretches where I haven't read really anything for a year because I just couldn't even get my brain to focus. Uh, in terms of being a reader, it's hard because I have pain because my joints dislocate uh, and subluxate. So trying to hold a tome, a 900-page book, is next to impossible unless I want my hands to actually fall off of my arms. <laughs> um, we don't want that. No, sure. no, no one does. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm assuming you're an e-reader. I see you posting cool pictures of your e-reader and in fancy sushi restaurants sometimes. So is there a, <laughs> is 
is there an e-reader that you recommend for people who have a hard time holding a physical book? So the one that I use is a Kindle. I use a, a Kindle paper white that's the name of the one that has the light behind it (laughs) um in part because i think as we all know amazon has like infiltrated our lives very deeply and so it's an easy way to have access to a whole lot of books uh but in part because i just really like it uh not only is it teeny tiny and very light it's got a backlit screen but it also has an option which i thought was really cool and just found recently uh you can change the text that the book is printed on and there's actually a text in here or a font that is uh for people who are dyslexic And so it's made specifically, so if you're dyslexic and you have a hard time reading, this font has been designed so that your brain can properly read the words that are on the page. It's called Open Dyslexic. Uh, I'm not sure if there are other readers on the market that have that sort of accessibility. I haven't heard about it before, but I know that the Kindle has it, so I love it. (laughs) They also have it on the, um, the Libby app, which is done by Overdrive. I saw that they had that same font on there. Brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Hey, right before we started recording, you said something that was really interesting I want to touch on because we've had conversations about um, whether or not audiobooks are considered reading when you um, part- listen to an audiobook. And you said something really interesting about that. Do you want to give your opinion? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's not just reading. I mean, I see it a lot when, for example, that pre-peeled orange. I don't know if you guys remember that thing floating around the internet. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> So I find a lot that there's this sense of elitism about things that make things accessible for disabled people. And there's kind of this sense of, you know, audiobooks or ebooks aren't real books. And so when you say stuff like that, I mean, you're being such an elitist asshole and you're completely minimizing how useful all of these things are to people who can't just pick up a regular book and read it the way that you would. And so it's really, it's kind of a small thought process. And additionally, they've done all of this research that has found that an audiobook and an ebook and a regular paper book all activate your brain in the same way. So you're not actually changing anything by listening to an audiobook versus reading it. You're just getting to experience a story, which isn't that the most important part anyways. Yeah, totally. It's amazing. Yeah, no, we completely agree. And we don't like when we see people saying stuff like that. There's no real reading. And I love that information. That's like, that's really amazing. Yeah. So what, there's a lot, obviously the publishing industry really in the, in the world of reader culture needs to shift a little bit to better accommodate people who are disabled. Are there technology changes or just like, like thought process changes in the world of reading that you would like to see? I think, uh, God, thought process changes would be amazing. I mean, usually what you end up seeing, and and I thought it was so sad that I just couldn't come up with very good examples of disability. Um, And a lot of that is comes out of the discussion of the need for our own voices. You know, we really need disabled writers. We really need disabled people telling their stories. And it's totally fine if non-disabled people are telling our stories. I know that that's going to catch me shit somewhere on the internet, but I don't have a problem with non-disabled people telling our stories as long as they're doing the research that's required to be telling our stories genuinely and to not be following into these tropes of, you know, if you're disabled, your life is so sad and pathetic and you only exist to inspire non-disabled people because that's bullshit. You know, that's not real. That's a thing that non-disabled people have come up with to put us into a box because they don't want to deal with us. Uh, so can you tell 
numerous ways that people who are able-bodied and want to help out, uh, you know, our disabled readers, what can we do? Well, I think one of the most important things is just to uh, include us in the discussion, because, I mean, we're going to know exactly best what we need out of a situation. Uh, you know, for example, we were just talking on Twitter the other day, and one of our um, either deaf or hard of hearing uh followers chimed in and was like, hey, it would be incredible to have a transcript of the podcast so that I can access, you know, the interview that you guys are doing so that I can read about what you guys are doing, because listening to a podcast just isn't an option for them. Um, So I think that, you know, there's a saying in the disability community that says uh, nothing about us without us. And so I think that in order to get answers to those questions, you've got to ask us what we need, you know? I think that's the most important thing that able-bodied people can do, is make sure that they include disabled people when they're trying to accommodate us. Yeah, because it's certainly something, like, we didn't even think about. But once we someone told us that, we were like, oh, of course, we should do a transcript. Hey, can I ask you a, uh, an um, uninformed question, Heather? Of course, um, always. Is disabled the word that I should be using? What is the like proper terminology that I should be using? So that is a, that is a contentious conversation in the disability community. Uh, what it comes down to is basically personal preferences always. Um, you can always, always ask what people prefer. Uh, but generally speaking, especially online and, you know, in kind of activist and forward thinking circles, disability is the preference. None of us are ashamed of being disabled. It's not a bad thing that we're disabled. It's a part of our lives. It's something that directly affects us. It's completely intertwined to everything that we do. And so we don't have any problem being people who are disabled, or disabled people, rather, instead of, you know, this is Heather who has a disability. I think that it really minimizes, for me personally, it minimizes how much of an impact the disability has on my life uh, when when people use weird talk-around-it language. I hate the talk-around-it language. <laughs> so, Heather, we have a question that we ask all of our guests. What book do you love to gift people the most? Like, what book do you find yourself buying copies of and giving to people? Okay, so I have two of them. Um, the first one is Fahrenheit 451. Oh, right. nice. And the second one is this book called The Gargoyle by Andrew Davidson. I don't know. Have you guys ever heard of it? No. It came so- out in 2008. It's this incredible, amazing, beautiful, uh, there's not enough amazing adjectives. The dude has never written anything else. I don't know where he came from or where this book came from but it's incredible i would love to give you both a copy <laughs> i'm gonna i'm putting that we'll on my Dubai list we'll take it <laughs> so you want to tell us about your reading habits i am always reading there's never a time when i'm not i think i'm reading oh god three books right now four books right now as i look over on my bedside table um My number one reading rule over the years has been that I give a book 100 pages, and if I'm not caught in 100 pages, then I don't have to read anymore. I have the same rule! Oh, you you guys read way more than I do for it. I give up. (laughs) So, Heather, where can we find you online? 
I am all over the internet as Mortuary Report. Um, MortuaryReport.com, at uh, Mortuary Report for Instagram and Twitter, Mortuary Report on Facebook. I used to be a funeral director and mortician, so that is not as weird as it seems. Heather, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so, so much for coming on. This was so educational. This was so wonderful. And I hope that our listeners, they will change the way that they see reading and ebooks and audiobooks. I hope so too, and I'm just really glad that you guys are including this as part of your discussion because I think it's so important. <laughs> we do too. Yeah, we want to continue this discussion. So anything else you want to talk about, come back on the podcast. It'd be great. I will always come on to hang out with y'all. <laughs> Yay. We're going to leave you with this episode's book connection, a way to connect with other readers online with the use of this week's hashtag. This week's hashtag is hashtag book therapy. Show us a picture of a book that got you through something on Instagram or Twitter. And we're going to post some of our own. If you like the show, please rate and review it on iTunes. It's really great for us and helps us to reach more readers. You can always email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast or on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. And you can always follow along with our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglasses. And we always want to thank Danielle for running the Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel for running the Goodreads group. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much. And if that's for- a great way to connect with other people. Go there and find other Reading Glasses listeners. And uh, outline transcripty thing of this podcast is available on the Maximum Fun website. If you go to Maximum Fun Show Reading Glasses and find the blog for the show, for all of our hearing impaired fans, you can go and read about all the things we talked about in the show. So thanks for listening. And and thanks thanks for for reading. reading. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.